Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your host, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we got Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever. Dave is still ain't here because we're recording this literally right after the first part. <laughs> so he ain't here still. We're good nights <laughs> with the absolute film, absolute love for film and about you for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over on patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they will. Okay. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with a post-show. Except for this episode, we will not have one. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, officially concluding part two, Doctor Sleep. The official conclusion here. This is this month, fantastic. This month, also extremely special for not just Stephen King in general. This month is also special for us. Because this is our two-year anniversary with this episode right here. Fucking incredible. These two years have been insane. Everyone's been extremely fantastic. The fans of Nightlight, all our ghoulish nights. Jesus Christ. Y'all are unstoppable and i cannot thank you all enough for supporting and listening and interacting on twitter and all the stuff like it's great like i had luis uh hernandez uh hit me up recently on twitter thanking me about uh the way i add in my ads and things like that into the show and bake <laughs> those in and i was like dude no thank you for listening and and just taking that all in so no thank you all so much for just making this an incredible two years. It's mm. been fantastic, and we're just going to continue going up and up. Freddie, you got anything to also add yeah, there, I my mean, friend? Yeah, you guys are insane. I love you guys so much. I mean, the interaction like on Twitter alone, it's been wild. The yes. DMs I get and the interaction I get. You guys are very genuine, loving people, and I love that you guys support us. I'm glad the show has some type of effect on you. Yeah. I never thought that would happen, but... I appreciate you guys all listening. Obviously, our patrons too. Patrons, you guys are been there since like day one for the majority of you guys. And for the yeah. new members, you guys are fantastic. But even if you're not, like nothing but positive like feedback and just Absolutely. positivity through all of you guys' like genuine interaction. So yeah. love you all. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. This has been a fantastic journey. That it has. That it has. And also thank you to Bloody Disgusting as well for continuing to uh, host the show and just allowing us to be a part of this fantastic network with all these incredible people. It's honestly still blows my mind. Great family, great community. Uh, absolutely. So like thank you to Bloody Disgusting as well. And also thank you to Shudder um, for even providing us with like just that backbone and and awarding us the silver bolo from uh, Joe Bob Briggs and things like that. Year. So it's been an insane year. So thank yeah. y'all so much that uh, uh, because of you guys, we are officially an award winning podcast and that is insane. Um, so thank you all so much for continuing to listen to the show. Keep doing it. Keep, keep, you know, sharing it with your friends and your family and folks that you feel like you, who would like the show and, and things like that. Like word of mouth is the best way we've been able to travel. So it's been great. Um, but to conclude here, I do want to also thank our patrons as well. And uh, I want to start with Stephanie, Calvin, Andrew, which is actually 
uh, oh, two Andrews. I'm, I'm going to say Andrew G and, um, well, I'll say Andrew M, um, Matt, Scary Stuff Podcast, Samantha, uh, Patrick, uh, Willow, Taylor, Jessica, uh, Sloan, Sandy, Jared, Petra, Jasmine, Chantel, Rio, Mark, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Rob, Eric, Day, Freddie. Thank you, Freddie. <laughs> uh, my grandma, Yvonne, and my mom, Lola. Thank y'all so much for allowing us to get even closer to our goal. Our goal is to get 50 patrons by the end of this year, and we're getting closer each and every month. So thank y'all so much for supporting it. It's really, really great to just see this whole thing continue to grow. So thank you all so much for your patronage and for being a ghoulish knight. Now, quick recap, because we got to recap a little bit here, because it's been a fucking week since they've heard this episode. So let's recap a little bit. Uh, Doctor Sleep Part 1, we went over a whole bunch of shit. A lot happened. We met the True Knots, right? So True Knots were there. We met them. They're vampiric. They're weird. Rosa Hat's fucking crazy. It, it's insane. She loses her mind. We meet this kid named Abra, who kind of pops up out of nowhere. But she's like, surprise, I can hear people, and I can make spoons stay on the ceiling. <laughs> Abracadabra, bitch. And then, beyond all of that, we got Dan. Danny Torrance. We've we known him. We've we seen him before. 1980. Yeah, of course. We know who he is. He's all grown up now. He's old. He's, I don't know, 35? I don't know. Well, he said something like that, 30 years or some shit. But anyway, besides the point, Dan, we got him. He's a drunk. Not anymore. He gets sober. Eight years. Perfect. Perfect. Nice. This is great. He all does all this old other cool shit where he's starting to use his brain and mental powers and shit again. It is fucking cool. The Shining's happening. He it's here. Superhero name. Got superhero names. Dr. Sleep, Super Stan. I don't know. It, it's a whole bunch of crazy shit. Doctor's Sleep Part 1, it was fun. Yes. What can I say? But we're now on to Chapter 4, Turn World. Abra is being dropped off at school. She waits for her mom to be to leave, uh, to leave so she can walk down the street. These fucking badass kids, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I were to ever catch my daughter do something like that, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> like, what are you doing? This town's, it's no way this town is that big. Like, no way. Uh, she buys a bus ticket to Fraser and heads um, toward Teeny Town. She arrives a smiling when she notices Dan. He is le- he's letting the he's letting the children off the train, noticing Abra staring at him, a little weirded out, but not making much of it. He begins walking away, stopping when she greets him telepathically. Dan calls to Billy so he, uh, so he could speak with Abra. They sit down on the bench, using her mind's voice to communicate, but Dan instructs her to use their outside voices. He questions her tracking him down, Abra explaining that it was like GPS, but in her head. Dan feels weirded out that he's sitting next to a teenage girl. She comes up uh, with a cover-up of him being her uncle, shaking his hand and commenting that it um, it isn't totally a lie. Yeah, but it's still weird. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. It's still weird. I like weird. that they addressed it at least, as they should. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 and I think the addressing happened because it wasn't technically sort of addressed in The Shining. Like, you know, Dick Holler and just went alone with Danny like, completely, like, do you mind if I give your son some ice cream? I mean, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm not gonna go with you, right? Like, I like I literally just met you like 15 I mean, minutes ago. They left that kid alone for like the very first half of this movie too. 
Oh that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. But I'm just saying, like, like it's we just... found your kid outside. It's like, oh, Danny, how are you? Right. Where the fuck were you? What exactly. Like, I mean, but, but uh, that's what I'm saying. I think that's why they made it known as just like, hey, we know this is a little weird. Like, hey, we get that. This is our acknowledgement of that being weird. How's that Pepsi mango twist? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys, I'm drinking this uh, zero sugar Pepsi mango. And it is terrible. It is disgusting. I tried it. Sorry if anyone likes it. If you like it, you have bad taste. Uh, calling him <laughs> magic like her, he doesn't know about magic, and he explains that he called it the shiny. I'm, I'm okay, kidding. It's contact. <laughs> this is a long episode. You guys saw part one. We're recording part two all in the same night. It's like three hours of content. I need the caffeine. That's all we had. We are high this off life. She she mentions that they are scared. They are scared of it, but they think it is mostly gone, and they don't talk about it. Or if she uses it, they they look at her differently, or not at all. And that's the reason why she tries not to use it. She knows that she knows that he understands going over his history of not trying to use his shine, knowing that his mother couldn't look him in the eyes either. Dan tells her that he didn't understand that shining what the shining was when he was a kid calling it tony um thinking it was his imaginary friend i still to this day think tony is a real person i think tony's a real person and the reason why is because of abra abra smirking that she also thought he was her imaginary friend for a long time interesting and that's why i think tony was always a person and I think Tony was just a person who had the shining, who was also probably powerful and just kind of talking to him in a way. Do you think that's a person who's alive or something? Mm. In the shining episode, I did mention that I thought it was someone who was dead inside the right. Overlook Hotel. Um, From the Overlook. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if it was someone specifically in Overlook, but I don't think they were alive. No. Gotcha. I think it, it was kind of something like how Dick Holleran is for Dan. Yeah. Abra smirking, oh, excuse me, wondering how many how many of them are there, he explains that there are a lot of people who have a little bit of a shine and don't know it, but he only met two or three people in his life that knew that, that they actually shined. Okay, so we know Dick is one of them. Okay, now Abra, but who do you think the other two are that Dan met who can shine and knows that they can shine? I guess technically he knew his dad shined? But his dad didn't know he shined, though. Because he said that he met two people in his life that knew they could shine, so that they knew they had around. psychic abilities. I, I'm so curious. I want to know who those two other people are. So My bad. Prequel. Let's go. <laughs> Doctor Snooze. Uh, she she <laughs> she, she shares that the. Uh, uh, that Brad shined, handing him Brad's missing paper, explaining that these people look. Uh, these people took his. Excuse me. Explain that these people took his shine. Um, he asked if she, if she could feel it, but um, but they but they could also feel her. Giving a brief description of Rose wanting to find and stop them because she believes they did this to to a lot of other kids. Dan is confused why she came there and chose him. It is um, it is the simple answer of him being able to hear and believe her, knowing that they hurt people like them. Asking uh, what. What would he do? Dan is silent. Abra knows if he had something of Brad's in 
and if he goes to Iowa, his parents will know where he is and bury him right. He tries to quiet her down, but she continues wanting to get access to Brad's glove so she can track them. Because Barry was wearing because Barry was wearing the glove before they killed him. Dan puts on his hat, telling her to go home, think about her school, parents, and the rest of her life, pleading for her not to chase these people, aggravate them, or gain their attention. More importantly, do not shine, finding almost finding almost anything to stop the shine, demanding her to keep her head down and, and hope that they don't see her because they will come back. He gets up apologizing, telling her to keep her head down and stay safe. This was fascinating. Yeah. It showed you how fearful he is of his own ability and how dangerous he knows it is when you use it. Right. And, and- Granted, we see that in part in chapter one as well when Danny is talking to Dick about like it being dangerous and him never wanting to use it again. Right, and also knowing like the world is a hungry place, he knows yeah. how to like fuck with people who have it as well. Right, especially people who have that dark side of them. Yeah, and that's the thing that is actually consuming them. But this is a great uh, scene for Abra too because she doesn't back down. She's very powerful and carries a conversation. Like, no, we should do something about it. I came yeah. all this way. Although she's just like a little girl, you can treat her as an adult immediately. Yes, which is great. Absolutely, because that's how you should per- like perceive her because mm-hmm. she is someone who's very powerful and she knows that and she's confident in that too. So she's a great protagonist off the bat. I agree. Cut to Danny and his mom sitting and watching TV. And remember, everybody, when I say Danny, um, I should preface this. When I say Danny, I'm talking about young Danny. Um, but Wendy looks at him and then quickly looks away when he catches her gaze. He he asks what it is. She tells him nothing but the smile. He knows that she is thinking about his dad, though. She tells him that she isn't, but he knows that she is, even though she doesn't want to. She tells him not to worry about her and that they're fu- that they are fine. He goes to the mirror, looking at himself, then closing his eyes real tight, changing his eye colors from bl- from brown to blue. And this speaks volumes. How he knows that she sees Jack in him and therefore he wants to change just that subtlety moment of changing his eyes to blue because Jack's eyes weren't blue. Right. That he was just like, fuck it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm no longer going to be this kid who resembles my dad ever again. And as we learn later, that was the last time Dan truly used his power power and like, I guess, to make it known that like I'm using the shining, like that was the last time he used it. Back with Dan at the front uh, at the front desk in, uh, in the hospice, Azrael jumps over on the counter. He greets the cat. The cat walks over to a room. Dan thinking thinking that the cat may have their their wires crossed because the room is empty. And the f- one thing to point out here: the fact that Dan is reading a playgirl, just like his dad did in The Shining when he was sitting in the uh, in the uh, lobby. So fascinating to me. Yeah. So fascinating. Very interesting callback. I love how he's like communicating with the cat too. Yeah. Like nonchalant. It's like, you got your wires crossed today. Yeah. There's no one in that room. But yeah, it's, no, this it, is a, it's pretty great. Scene. Yeah. I also do like that. He's, he reads the articles in the Playgirls. He, that's, that's, as one should. As, as one should. Um, 
Azrael goes inside the room, Dan knowing that it is empty, but he goes after the cat. When he goes inside, he sees someone standing in the darkness. He is about to pull out a mind box, but Dick stops him and reveals that it is him. Dan is happy to see him apologizing. Dick asks if he's getting any visits from those old ghosts from the Overlook. He enthusiastically shares that he hasn't for years, Horace being the last one. Dan asks, uh, asks what happened to them inside the box, wondering if they died in there. Dick asks if he cares, Dan missing him. He asks if he asks uh, if it has been that long because he can't tell, calling the world a dream of a dream. Dan commenting that it has been eight years. Dick remembering the, the last time the last time he saw him, he was at the bottom, but he looks better now. He asks Dick for his reasons um, being there. He tells Dan that that uh, it all comes around and for him to listen because it hurts for him to be there. Now I love this because I love that we now get context that um, Dan can't summon Dick. Right. Dick comes on his own regard. When he's needed the most. Right. And I love this whole entire concept, too. It's like, he even asks, like, oh, has, like, the people from the hotel been, like, visiting you lately? He's like, no, not for a long time. Right. And going back to, like, my theory of everything, it's like, yeah, he's gotten so much better. Eight years sober. Started to realize what he has to do as a person to, like, put his trauma behind him. And it's not bothered him for such a long time. Right. But at the same time, he's always still with him. And it could always bust out at any moment too. which is why he was ready right like he he was pulling that box out immediately like, he was like okay doesn't fuck it i know what i'm doing like yeah, <laughs> like, like you out knows like how to control situations exactly now. right which i love explaining that um if these empty devils ever found uh excuse me uh he tells dan that it comes around uh, excuse me he tells Dan it all comes around and for him to listen because it hurts for him to uh, be there, explaining that if these empty devils ever found him when he was younger, he would be dead, adding that they are all the land they are, that they are on the land like cancer on the skin. And they once rode camels in the deserts, drove caravans across your eastern eastern Europe. They and it's so fucking fascinating how how old they are. Like the fact that you you get this concept of like. They're old. They're ancient. Yeah. They eat screams and drink pain, and they noticed Abra, knowing that they might kill, turn, or keep her until she is all used up. What a fucking terrifying. fantastic but terrifying line. It's, it's one of those things where it's like it raises the stakes of the movie of like what is – yeah, really, what's at stake? Right. It's like if you don't yeah. help her, this could be the outcome. Yeah. It's what interesting do, you do be- about it? It's interesting because some people's arguments is that – uh, there are no stakes for the uh, main characters where I completely disagree because I mean being tortured over time and being drained by a sadistic cult. Well, it's it, pretty it, uh, heavy stakes. It, it is, but also two of two of the main characters die. Billy and Dan both die. So like, what the fuck do you mean? There's no stakes like they, right. they That's the ultimate stake. Like lives. it's literally just Abra. <laughs> like, like uh, I don't know. Like I, I once again, like I, when people give me these arguments, I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't see it. I just don't see it. it, it it's not, it's not there for me. And maybe I'm just seeing this in rose-colored glasses. I don't know. He tells Dan that he can't let let him in. Or that he can't let him. Dan doesn't understand why it has to be him. Dick reasons um, reasons that she found him, wondering the same question for him. And I love that. He was like, shit, what the hell? Why me? Like, you just stumbled in my kitchen. <laughs> 
He doesn't understand. And I got a fucking axe in the chest for it. He doesn't understand what he's supposed to do. Dick telling him uh, to get her to get her what, what she asked for. Ending that he won't see him again. Calling it his last dream. Complimenting that he grew up just fine. Yet he still owes a debt that needs to be paid. Cut to Rose in her trailer trying to meditate, crow knocking on her door. She's irritated by the by the banging, asking him what he wants. He comes in apologizing for the interruption as she reminds him that she wanted no interruptions, not not wanting anything to eat or drink, just peace and quiet, needing all of her wits for Abra tonight. But that's that's the reason why he's there because he found something handing handing her the an iPad to show of an earthquake in Aniston. She reads the article sarcastically until she realizes that it could possibly be be caused from Abra. Crow is concerned if she is actually that strong, but Rose is drunk with persistence, knowing that it will be easier for her to have a street instead of just a town, calling it a good catch while she hands it back to Crow. He wonders how she is going to go after her. She, she smirks that Abra will be asleep, and she will just look around, planting some suggestions like little worms, confidently commenting that she will be happy to see them and just hop right into their van. Not convinced, Crow tells her that he thinks she will she should still be careful if she actually has done this rose reminds her reminds him that she's a little girl he kneels on her bed complimenting her but still wanting her to be careful kiss she kisses his forehead before he leaves this moment i love the fear you see from crow he is fucking scared he doesn't play around yeah he's like you know what it's like i've lived long enough to know it's like right don't take anything for like face value right it's like she pushed you out of her your own mind yeah. she is powerful don't yeah like don't take this little kid for granted and yeah. you can tell he's fucking scared it's like if she's as big as you say don't underestimate her exactly but rose to have being the person she has been this entire time you know she's very like not cocky but like confident in herself she's confident, yeah like, yeah, she's just a kid. She's Cause, nothing cause, to me. Because for her, like, she's taking down kings. And right. she's, she's like, yeah. she, you know, she's she's toppled monarchies. And she's like, for me, like, it's a fucking child. And I also see her just like, like, extreme, like, addict. It's like, this is the biggest score ever. I'm going to do whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to risk it all. Yeah. And I think it's the fact that it, it's it's fighting back. At the yeah. same time, she loves it. Like, yeah, she loves for her, challenge. she's just like, no, this is a challenge, and I, I accepted it. Yes. Like, you know, she's, she's mine. Like, she's going to be mine. Abra is in bed listening to music. Her mom comes into the room asking if she's okay. She feels okay mentioning that she had a rough day. Her mom sits next, sits down next to her, letting her know that she's flying out to see um, her grandma in the morning. She asks if she's going to pull. She asks if she's going to pull through this time. Abra nervously answering that she doesn't know, but she hopes so. And her mom, uh, and for her mom to let her know if she loves her. Um, excuse me, to, to let her know that she loves her. Meanwhile, Rose goes on top of the trailer, meditating with deep breaths. She, when she opens her eyes, she's floating over skylines. This Love is this. fucking awesome. She makes it to Abra Street, dropping down to the ground, walking, uh, walking toward her house. And I love the veracity of the heartbeat in this moment. It's just yes. a the score, the visuals, the camera angles. Yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. It Fantastic. works so well. And how you slowly hear her breath right. when she's flying overhead. This thing captivates you. As it a, does. Like, a viewer. It's You're gorgeous. You're just like, damn, what the fuck am I watching? Because Holy this is something shit. that throws you off 
from the it entire does. movie. It's like, I haven't seen this yet. Right. We saw a little bit with Abra with like tilting her house and like falling into like the POV shot, which is also great. Oh, but yeah. This is just on par with that too. But it, it also shows us the strength of Rose. Right. Like we, we saw tidbits of Rose, but now we're just like, oh shit, Rose but, is actually mad powerful. Yeah, she's wildly far away. Right. Yeah, she can do this and find her and track exactly. her down. Exactly. No one's safe. Right. And that's why she's confident because we see this scene exactly like, yeah, she's powerful as fuck. Absolutely. She sees Abra's light on in her room and floats into her room. And the way the fucking camera Carol. just moves while they're Jesus Christ. Looking over at Abra in bed asleep, she softly tells her to keep sleeping as, as she looks around in, in her mind's filing cabinets. Scoffing about people spending so much time creating memories. Gloating about her mind being a cathedral. She spots Abra's cabinet for herself. She opens, she softly opens it, uh, flicking through through the filing, but turns around when she gets an odd feeling, looking back at Abra's at Abra in bed. A spotlight appears on her, the drawer slamming on her hand. She looks back, Abra with a blue wig and missing eyes, commenting about her coming back. Rose screaming and groaning as she tries to get her hand out of the cabinet as Abra continues that she followed through, smiling as she responds with good. She gets she gets up, Rose shouting for her to get back trying to undermine her calling her a fucking child in the way she even says that shit though it's just a fucking child like it, not like, even like that like, like it, it's with power right. like it's still intimidating she's like you're just a fucking child and like the way she, like, she says that it, but like it's like right. there's no way like what the fuck like yeah. she's trying to and also in this moment i feel like she's trying to still be like i'm i'm old like i'm older than you i'm right. stronger than you and yet you're in this predicament where you're you're the mouse caught in the trap. Right. <laughs> you want to pray for the first time. Exactly. Abra continues touching Rose, but she smacks her hand away. Abra disappears. Rose searching for her. She appears in Rose's mind, flickering through her cards as Rose as Rose screams for her to get out. She continues going faster and faster as she looks through her cards. She pulls her hand out of the cabinet, ripping the flesh off of her skin off of her bone her feet are heavy as she tries to lift and move she makes it out of the window jumping back and flying back into her body falling off of the top of the trailer this is fucking incredible this is fucking brutal it's amazing and it i saw a tweet maybe a year or so ago where uh someone tweeted out they're like mike flanagan in hands like geez mike flanagan in hand trauma whatever and uh uh in some ways um but mike flanagan made a good point he was like it's not me it's stephen king those are both adaptions like gerald's game and and uh this yeah but it's interesting because i um i commented on it and i was just like i was like well you also had hush like her hand got crushed in hush and he was like and he even commented he's like good point <laughs> well played crow and andy run over to to her as she repeat as she repeats it was a trap she pushes them off of her crow trying to calm her down she grunts that abra was in her head stealing he asks what did she know and she doesn't know barry comes up to them share to share that flick is possibly cycling and i love the intensity of all this like how how guttural she is with her her movements and her way she's speaking she's frantic yeah like she's she doesn't 
She's she, never been in this she's position. She's never before. been in this position, right? She doesn't she's, know how to react. She's like, what the like, fuck? Get the fuck like, away she's from me. Pissed. I'm trying to figure this out myself right now. Right. Like, frantic. Yeah. Like she's pissed. She she just she really wants to like get back in there kind of thing. But um roughly, I mean the way she gets flung back into her body, yeah. Catapults her off the RV and hits the ground hard. She fucking she smacks it. She like, it's, it's rough. Definitely the victim. It's rough. Um, but it's it's interesting because um yeah, I put here um I love the intensity of all this, how much weaker they seem um here, yet this is where a lot of people complaints about the film come in. Because it, it it's one of those things where so someone even posted on my my tweet on this where they mentioned that their complaint behind this movie and the reason why they did, they, and they were very adamant that they did not like this movie. Um, and their complaint was that they seem so powerful yet they were easily picked off. And I didn't message them back. Um, just because I I wasn't going to have this argument. Um, but, when I was thinking about it, and I really sat down with that, I really sat down with what their what their thought process behind it, because um, they brought up the shooting scene and right. stuff like I can that. See that, and but that's the thing I can't because at the end of the day, like we've never seen any of them kill someone with their mind. They still had to use a weapon. Like we we've never seen any any of them do that. Like, what made you think that? they can kill someone with their mind. The only person we technically have seen kill someone with their mind was Dan because Dan was the most, is the most powerful when he uses his shine. Um, but everyone else, no, like they, they needed to use a weapon because they're at the end of the day, they're humans with these abilities. And granted, when you take steam from someone else, you do turn into something else entirely, but still you're human at the end, at the, at its core. Right. So that's how I pictured it, where it's just like, they're still human. Therefore they still need to do human humanizing things. Like they, they can't kill without either a weapon or their hands or something like that. Like they can't do that, but I don't know. And Dan is even still a gray area. Like, we'll get to that point. But Dan is is woken up by Abra screaming in his head that she hurt Rose. And she's so excited in his head. <laughs> she's And I love it how she's her. asleep. I hurt her, she's Dan. Like, I got her, Uncle Dan. I, I hurt her. I hurt her real bad. And then while she's asleep, she's like, I hurt her. I hurt her real bad. And I, I'm <laughs> Right. And I have to say, good way of, like, editing that in, too, to show, like, back and forth between the voice that he's hearing versus her being asleep and <laughs> talking to him. But she did a great performance when she was attacking Rose the Hat, too. Oh, fuck yeah. Dude, she was super badass. She didn't oh care. She's ruthless, which I like, yeah. too, but in the protagonist way, where it's like, you're not like a villain. You're just like a badass superhero at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know how, like, Stephen King had, or not Stephen King, excuse me, uh, uh, Mike Flanagan, he has, like, not Easter eggs, but more so like little things here and there to like showcase like pop culture. Like he had right. Ruby posters up inside of her room, and Ruby is a popular anime from Rooster Teeth um, mm-hmm. with uh, 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 Barbara Drunkman and, and stuff like that. So like it, it's it's really cool like how how you're able to see all of that. And like one of my goals, one of my goals is to have a nightlight poster. 
in like hidden in the movie, hidden in the or movie. TV show, yeah. Like it, it just that's one of my goals in life is to have a nightlight poster hidden fucking somewhere inside of a TV show or a movie. I don't care what movie it is. Actually, no, I kind of do. But <laughs> <laughs> but like if this isn't a Flanagan project, like oh my fucking god, sign me up. But uh, Danny, uh, uh, I read that part. She is speaking normal in her sleep. But it it is coming it is coming in loudly in his head, letting him know that she that the best part is that she got her got into her head. She asks if he can hear her, but he he sits on the he sits on his bed, uh, not knowing what she has done. He goes up he goes up to the wall, about to write to Abra, but he says he says to himself, "Just speak to her." He greets Abra in her mind. She springs out of her bed that she can hear him. Back with the true knot holding Grandpa Flick, Andy not understanding, thinking that they lived forever rose asked if someone promised her immortality reiterating that she told her live long eat well adding that they can live very long but they have been that but they haven't been eating well for a long time crow calls calls her over for flick the rest of them moving out of the way out of the way as she approaches him she comes and i love this i love how like how much respect they have for her to yeah. where when she approached Grandpa Flick, they're like, "This is Rose's time." Yeah, like w- let's back away because in, in actuality, Flick was um, his was her well. First turn. Rose was her, was Flick's first apprentice. He turned Rose. Gotcha. And we kind of get that story a little bit later. She doesn't say his name exactly, but you can assume that that she's been with Flick from the beginning. F- from a very long time. She go she comes to a side flick saying that he's scared. She assures him that he's he is not, going over his legacy as she continues the cycles and she's going over the legacy of like you've taken down popes, kings, and you so on and so forth. Kingdoms cr- uh, fall. Fall, like exactly. That. Which I think is an iteration to uh uh Rome. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. Uh pumping him up. Uh, pumping him up for his demise, he starts to growl and gasp as his steam filters out from his pores and everyone watches. He And they're like crying and shit. Right. Such a sad moment for them. Fuck y'all. He rises and he rise and screams in pain before disappearing into a cloud of smoke. And this is fucking it looks great. great. This yeah. looks so painful. Obviously, sound design too. The noise. Oh yeah, the <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's, it's like fucking pulsing. nuts. Yeah, yeah, it's so good, and it, it it brings so much energy to their deaths. Like it's you know, like I was thinking, I, it made me think of the Dead Zone on how dramatic like the the mom's death in the Dead Zone <laughs> is, yeah. and like this is very dramatic, but this. This brings a whole amount of gravitas to how they're dying. Like you can tell, he's in pain. Yeah, you can tell he's not having a good time dying. <laughs> it's not as peaceful as the people. Not as peaceful as a regular human, right? No, and that doctor sleep is going to visit you and exactly. put you to bed, right? Uh, Rose caresses the spot he once lied before the rest of the knots savagely consume his steam. This looks fucking awesome. This looks awesome. Like the way that they lift up just to breathe in the pieces that they're missing on the top. Animalistic. Oh, it's so animalistic. It's beautiful. But you get those perfect blue pupils glowing as they lift up. But like, oh my God. And like, I love how Rose is just there. Right. She doesn't. She doesn't. She doesn't inhale it. She's just there. Dan knocks on Billy's door, reminding him of the time. 
Uh, he gets straight. He gets straight to it, asking Billy questions about seeing him as a good, good and honest man, asking for his help and for him to listen to a story and try his best to believe him. He nods. Uh, we fade to Dan driving Billy asleep in the passenger. Abra speaks to Dan, asking how is it going, appearing in the back seat. He greets her, asking if she if she should be getting ready for school. She wanted to tag along, asking how long has they been, have they been driving? A few hours, but they um, but they should get there later that night she asked about billy asleep he comments that his that um or she asked about billy who's asleep he comments that it is his friend smiling as he believes to be his best friend abra is in his room in a meditative in her room in a meditative state still speaking to dan about rose being scared and upset that she that she got in he asks <laughs> I love this where he's like very much like intrigued like like how did it how, like how did it work how did it feel like I've never done that before kind of thing he asks he asks what uh what was that like going over the experience uh feeling like a library he wonders how did she do it she nonchalantly comments that it was like a little push while performing it on him while he's driving quickly flashing to a typewriter inside the overlook lounge then to his chambers of boxes he calls her out of him as he swerves to gain control of the car yet again <laughs> billy just wakes up a little bit and goes back to sleep it's it now this so is funny. interesting because this half of the film is where they decided to add the comic relief like previously before this it's not much comic relief if any right i mean if we're looking at the halfway point I feel like everything's been very gray and dark right and, and bleak. So like so they, they're adding like... they're adding the comic relief in these moments to kind of soften the blow of some of this. I think but so. it's but it's interesting because forty five minutes ago we watched a kid get fucking slaughtered. So I think that's <laughs> probably one of the big things too. Is like the first half of the movie we were getting introduced to this sadistic, crazy cult like substance called the vampires. Right, and they're just doing their thing. They're overpowered. They're killing people. They're winning. Now we get the transition of Abra being able to take over Rose the Hat. So now the, it seems like they have hope. There is like the protagonists are the ones that are on top at this point. Yeah. So we get that comedic relief. We get right. that transition from maybe this is going to be a dark path that we're going to go down. We're not going to win. Nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But now that Abra had that great scene with her in her room and being able to overpower Rosa Hat and now they're all like the guy just cycled. We see one of them die. We right. see Rosa Hat get overpowered. They're low on steam. They're in a very bad place. Right. So the comic relief kind of makes sense at this point in the movie because it seems like oh things are turning around and then mm -hmm. we get more scenes later on that's like eh, I don't know. Yeah. Are they cool? Right. So it's a good tension builder. Yeah. Because the comic relief keeps happening. Right. And this like after this. Like And it gets bleak again. Yeah, and then there's comic relief again. But like it, I mean yeah. it, it's a good it's a good ebb and flow. Like I'm not I'm not bashing the comic relief here. I'm I'm just saying like I thought it was interesting that it was so late in the movie. Um but yeah. She frantically apologizes before calmly asking about the boxes. Dan tells her nothing. But she calls him a liar. He goes over. He goes over when he was a child that he ran into a place that consumes consumes like the true knot. Continuing that they closed it down and the things that live there. Um, but he he doesn't continue, telling her to just not go inside of his head again. She promises that she won't. 
cut to Rose checking her hand, Crow coming up coming up to her from loading up the van. He tells her that she that they are almost loaded up. She's pleased, ready to get the caravan on the road to get Abra. He doesn't want her to come. She's offended. But he continues that she was tagged in 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 her head. Rose commenting that it won't happen again, but Crow continues that they don't know how much info she has um before she got kicked out. He reminds her that there that uh, she is the only one that she knows and will see coming. Going over scenarios, then leaning in that they that he will knock her out from what he got from his friends over at the NSA, putting her putting her out without overdosing her. But she still but she still wants to be there. Uh, now this is interesting when he mentions the NSA. This shows you that they have friends in high places. Yeah, because they've been around for so long. Exactly. If I were there when it was first founded. Right. Like, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's about. fucking nuts. Like, the cards that they could possibly pull. The things you can accomplish with a lot of time. That's true. If only I knew how that felt. <laughs> the 25th hour she eventually agrees he asks if she if she would like for uh for andy to stay behind but she wants them all to go together because they'll be stronger that way um uh but if she pulls a trick that they all need to stay together he agrees adding his own tricks his own tricks to the mix of things billy and dan make it to the plant dan calls for abra she tells him that they're that uh, it is the, that that's the sign and to pull around back. Billy hesitantly follows the instructions going over how, how he feels like he might be crazy if he's wrong, but he's, but if he's right, Dan interjects that being much worse. They make it to the dig site. Dan speaking to Abra to go home. She assumes uh, she can handle it, but she doesn't allow her to stay. That's another portion here of the comic relief that you get. We like, like you should go home. And Billy's like, what? <laughs> so, uh, okay. he's, like, he's like not you <laughs> and then he says it to Abra again um dan and billy starts uh, dar- start digging up the spot once they are once they are alone dan commenting about the smell billy goes over how he used to hunt deer that he clipped a buck when he ran uh and ran tr- Excuse me. And he clipped a bug and tracked him for two days, but the buck vanished. And five days later, he starts working on different different spot miles away. While looking for a spot, he smells the bug dead for days, and the smell was enough for him to never hunt again. Adding that this is the exact same smell, and man, it just felt so much deeper than decay. Right. It's one of those things. Like the story itself is so detailed, and why he even gave up doing like the hunting and stuff like that too. Where it's like. The smell is so bad that it just, it's that descriptive death that he experienced. And that's like the same thing they smell now. So you're just like, damn. Yeah. There is definitely something under here. Definitely. They continue their dig, spotting Brad's shoe, moving more rocks out of the way, gagging and retching when they find Brad's buried face. As Billy is throwing up, Dan continues trying his best to move more dirt away to grab the mitt. Billy yells that they didn't bury him deep, Dan apologizing as Billy wonders uh, what what he got them into. I would have wondered the same thing. I'm like, yo, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Like, bruh, come on, man. Like, yeah, I love how he mentions, like, I don't know what's situation is better my friend being crazy or you being like right truthful yeah and i feel like that's a very powerful thing it's a lose-lose for him it's like exactly damn it's like this shit is real you guys have these powers it sure and is so fuck up like fucked up not out there exactly devouring people yeah it sure is so buckle the fuck up billy because it's chapter <laughs> five 
motherfucking parlor tricks. While they're driving back, they are wondering about the people who did that, not considering them um, people for their evil act. Abra appears asking if he got it, Dan commenting that they did, and uh, they are on their way back to her. But they have to make one stop one stop before they make it to her. He instructs her to show her parents, Abra shouting no, because they almost think she's normal. He continues, like, it is not time for this. Like, these motherfuckers trying to kill you. Like, <laughs> he continues that Rose will go through them just to get to her and uh, that they need to know. Billy asks about the stop that they need to make. Dan asking about his his deer rifles. Dan and Billy pull up to Abra's house. And David comes out of the house yelling at him for uh, for communicating with Abra. I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. Like, are, yeah, he's like, are like, you Uncle Dan? Like, yeah. like you Uncle Dan, huh? Like, I I'd be the same way. I'm yeah, like, I like, like what the child. fuck, dude? Like, you're like fifty. I don't know if he's that old. Forty something. How old? Look, look up how old Ian McGregor is. Just in real life. Yeah, in real life. Because I, I think he is fifty. Now that I think about it. No. You think he just look good? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Abra comes up, comes out of the house behind. He's fifty. He's exactly fifty. There we go. Exactly 50. There we go. Look at that. I'm, I'm. I have the shining. Nineteen seventy one. I have the shining. I knew it. Nineteen seventy one. He was, so he was, he was what, nine when he was nine when The Shining came out. Four years yeah. apart. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Not too bad. That's cool. I see. Real it. cool. Uh, Abra comes out of the house behind Dan telling her, uh, t- uh, coming behind her dad, telling her uh, to show him. He pushes Dan on the hood of the car. Dan calling for Abra. <laughs> I love how David's like, don't you call her name. <laughs> David is about to punch him before she pushes uh, what she knows is. What she knows into his head. David's screaming from the events that he's experiencing. She stops. He's holding his head while Dan checks on him, letting him know that everything she mentioned is true. Inside the house, Billy is letting David know that uh, that he saw Brad's body and all of it's true. Once again, you get the little bit of comic relief yet again with the shaking of the glass while he's trying right. to pour it. That's a little cheesy. I'll give that. It's a a bit much. It's a bit much. David's still not believing it, thinking Dan um, put him there. Dan comments that Abra's special. David telling him not to talk about her. He continues sharing that she knows what happened to Brad, asking for her her to show him. It's interesting. I was like, what'd you just show him outside to make him scream like that? Because, like, she didn't show him Brad yet. (laughs) Right. So... I was I was thinking like what did she show him? I don't know because like that 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 makes me so intrigued on what she showed him outside, unless she just pushed in his head to hurt his head to maybe get him just off like of her Dan. Own interaction with the knot, I guess. Maybe the only thing that makes sense to me is that she didn't show him anything. She just hurt his head, like she just like jostled his brain or something. Huh. Wasn't there like flashes or no? No, he was just on the ground screaming. Okay. Yeah. Um, she hesitates, apologizing to her dad that there's flashes soon. Um, um, to her dad that she didn't want she didn't want to touching his head. Images of Brad's tra- um, Brad's tragedy fly through his head. David convulsing with each image. Cut to him shaking as he pours himself a drink. He asks about them knowing about Abra. Dan telling him that they that they do and they're coming. David is about to call the police. Abra stopping him as Dan comments that they've been around a long time, rich and connected. Not sure um, if they are worried about the police. David asks, "I would have been like, well, should I'm a try." 
Right. Fuck. You can't like, have every police well, station. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm going to fucking try. Like, what the fuck? Small town? Come on. Yeah, come on. David asks, asks where can they go? Dan allows Abra to answer, um, answer that when she's ready. She sits on the table commenting that she's ready. Dan asks again if she's sure that she wants to do this and she feels obligated. He sits the mitt on the table. She touches it for a moment, then closes her eyes. When she opens them, she sees the van with all of them inside. She comes back knowing that um, they're on I-95, naming some of them off. Excuse me. Commenting that they are maybe in Massachusetts. Dan asks about Rose, but she didn't see her. She just knows that they are coming. They go into Abra's house. Dan asking if there is, is if the only room that she saw was, or excuse me, Dan asking if this is the only room that Rose saw. It, it is, but she made a few changes when she was inside. He knows, he knows that they are going to try to track her and he tells, he tells her to allow them. Thinking that he's crazy, but in order to perform a little trick, they have to do it. Interesting. I love that. The parlor trick. The parlor trick. Cut to Abra, Dan, and Billy in the car. She comments that they are going, that they, that they are following them. He assures the constant, he assures, Excuse me. He assures her to concentrate and keep up. They continue driving into a park. They get to a car thinking that the area would work. Billy pointing out all the blind spots moving to go get set up. Dan asks Abra if they are still following and they are and they aren't far behind. Rose sees through the true knot telling them telling them to get get her and the true knot pull um, pull up to the area. Abra sitting on the table. They cautiously approach her with their guns drawn. Andy telling her that she looks and feels relaxed. This is so fucking great. I I love her trick or her ability. I love it so much. The needle behind her back is um as she approaches um and continues commenting that they are friends. Abra's in a daze as she repeats it. Andy stabs her in the neck with a syringe, Abra passing out, laughing and commenting that she thought this was going to be a lot harder than that. She looks back. Abra's no longer there. Rather, a stuffed bunny in her place. <laughs> now knowing that they've been set up, a shot comes flying out at Barry. Fucking amazing. I yeah. love the way he gets hit. Because it's so dramatic when he flings back, and then when it cuts back to him, you see how he just slides to the ground. It is yeah, fucking yeah. amazing. This scene is pretty awesome, especially for the first time watch of just seeing like how yeah. powerful Abra really is to trick the entire like knot yes. to follow her. Yes. And they realize like even like Snakebite Andy, she's like the fuck, like she's so confused. Right. Like I literally saw a physical person in front of me. And injected her with something, and it's a fucking bunny rabbit now. Yep. Like, how embarrassing is that? Yeah, that's like, fucking great. How, like, you really mind fucked the shit out of me as a villain. It made me feel like a stupid idiot. Absolutely amazing. And then the brutality that comes down to the And this is, this is the, the part shooting. that people seem to have an issue with this film, where they feel like that if they're so powerful, why weren't they able to see all of this coming? Right, if you will. But, yeah, there's such but, in a vulnerable state. Though. Exactly. That's what. Then that's my argument. There is that they're they're still pretty weak. We made it clear that they were weak, and that they weren't eating well. Right. Therefore, their mind isn't as sharp. But even then, it it, it goes on to a concept of like maybe Dan ability. He maybe has the ability to block that as well to that's turn his radio what off. So that might be another another way to fulfill that 
particular moment as well. I think you're really spot on too, because I think they're just surviving at this point. Yeah. They're going from steam to steam. They're like, we haven't had good steam in years. He right. hasn't been well since Nixon. We were, we're talking about time frames of like dumb not eating well. Right. So yeah, they're at a very weak and vulnerable state. Rosa Hat being the most powerful, even though she hasn't been eating well. She still has great fucking power. Right. And so now imagine that if they were in their prime. Exactly. They could be fucking tearing Unsolvable. down buildings, skyscrapers. Yeah, like, like you know, they, 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 they could like probably start earthquakes. Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You exactly. know, so like with them, like it, it, I, I, T- I always take this moment where I'm just like, no, this moment feels very realistic right. to me. Like this, Abra this- is a perfect example. She's untrained power. Exactly. And it's so natural for her to be so powerful. She's raw. Too. Yeah. Just the, the, that evocation of her power is just so raw. It kind of honestly reminds me of the craft of, of that just natural aspect that she just gives off here. Right. It's absolutely At one point incredible. If she controls her power. She can walk down the street, look invisible, show that she's everywhere and like fuck with people like fucking nuts. take over like entire like societies and fucking nuts it's insane Rose is screaming at our sponsors hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels so whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price Priceline and we're back because Rose is not screaming at our sponsors anymore. She's actually screaming for them to get out of there and it's vicious. She's like, get out, get out, get out. And she's like trying her best to just tell them like fucking leave. Like she didn't want them to shoot. She didn't want them to fight back in this moment because she knew they would have lost. She, she just knew. Rose's, uh, uh, excuse me, they start firing back at the trees, hitting Barry, then Eddie, Andy trying to make a run towards the trailer, but she then gets hit as well. Abra appearing, commenting that she deserves it, who is actually back at home sitting on the counter as her dad watches over her. She's, uh, she's helped up, but Annie is hit. Then, um, Sari, Doug going for, going for Sari, but is shot in the process. And I love this moment and the reason why i didn't even say all of this but barry was shot in the head but he didn't die from that head wound right away he still went through his cycle right and felt all the pain he didn't immediately die and it's fucking awesome and during this whole time like rose is just wailing and yelling and crying and sobbing and it's magnificent on how much power this scene even evokes and yeah. i'm just like i don't know how you cannot like this scene this scene's fucking awesome it just shows how connected they are with each other too. yeah she's feeling their pain they're right connected they're the knots exactly like, like and, and like i i can understand how how some people may have a gripe where it's just like but they all got picked off so fast kind of thing and they're supposed to be these super powerful beings where it's just like they hunted children they didn't hunt adults and i think two reasons why they didn't hunt adults one an adult probably could take one of them. Two, um, they 
also mentioned that the steam isn't as strong right. with the dotes. With I think the that's the biggest. That's definitely the biggest. But um, it's it's this whole purification concept and in, in fear. But I do believe that an adult probably could take one of them right. if like they came down to it. Like, all right, I'm boxing until Andy comes up to me and tells me not to box anymore. But I'm boxing. Like, let's get right. it. Like, <laughs> like fuck your mind tricks. Let's go. <laughs> but you know, it's. I can understand why people can have the gripe, right. though, because everyone does get picked off very quickly, and that does kind of minimize the stakes quite a bit. So I can understand that. Uh, Rose screams as her family gets picked off. They can they cautiously approach the trailer. Andy peeks her head out. Dan tries to shoot her, but he's out of bullets. As he tries to load one in, she comes out commanding him to stop. He does. She comes up to the trailer, sinisterly asking if he's sleepy. He seeps down to the ground, trying to overcome her commands, but she forces him down one last time. He passes out. Abra losing her connection to to him, shouting for him to wake up. Then um, says it is in her. Um, then says it is in her mind um and i like how we kind of know crow is there because abra's dad's not there anymore <laughs> right uh he wakes up and he has the gun uh, gun about to shoot him billy's shooting uh, shooting her in the neck and then in the chest she falls to the ground writhing as she cycles dan calls for billy to stay back but he continues approaching she commands him to kill himself Ah, uh, he immediately turns the gun on himself, shooting himself in the head. Got us on. Andy, Andy laughs as she disappears into a cloud of smoke. I love how she disappears. Her eyes kind of just whiff up with her. Right, it's amazing. She's it's, so sadistic as a villain. Oh my god, it's bananas. It works so well too, and I hate how. Uh, yeah, it's such a powerful scene. Such a powerful Dude, scene. He's such a good guy. Yeah, and, uh, and the way like so Billy even like looks, looks after he dies is like brutal. Oh, it's like, fuck. yo, you got done dirty. You it just helped out your friend. It reminds me of uh, "Don't Breathe," that headshot kill in "Don't Breathe." Oh yeah, yeah. Like when money dies and don't breathe. Like I, I feel like, like the that's the thing. same thing. It's yeah, like, like the eye. eyes flipped up and all that stuff. We covered Ugh. that, didn't we? We covered Don't Breathe. Don't breathe. Yeah. Yes. yeah, we did. Abra, that was that was Home Invasion Month when we covered Hush. Um, Abra appears that she didn't see the see the crow and winces in pain. Back at her house, crow stabbing her in the neck with a sedative. Dan calls out to her. Uh, David tells him to get away from from his daughter while pointing a knife at him. Crow moves away. David commenting about uh, um. Commenting about fucking killing him. Uh, Crow continues antagonizing him, commenting about Abra being the best food um, they, they will ever have. He approaches David, but we are left with him leaving the house with David dead on the floor. Knife in his chest. Now, technically, this is what I said um, a couple of weeks ago, that there is technically a sacrificial black trope inside of this movie. This is technically it. But this one makes sense. This is someone who is close to Abra. Right. This isn't someone who's who's dying. Who's just there just to die. Exactly. For the heroes. Like he was trying to protect his daughter. He was in the way of Crow, and Crow decided to overcome him and yeah. fucking flip the knife back on him. Which, which I'm, I wish they showed how he overcame it. I think so. I just think he just did it. I just think he just like flipped the knife and just got him really quick. Like I don't, I don't think it was anything special to it because you could see how scared David was. Yeah, I just I like seeing their powers. And That's fair. All I know for him, like Crow is he's like the tracker. 
Right, and that's like, all he how'd is. How do you overpower him if you're just a tracker? I want right, to see love. more from you. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I just think it was just a man-to-man type of situation to where he just, like, overtook the, the knife and just went from there. But, like, yeah, because that's, that's all the crow is. Like, he's literally just that. He just tracks. He's he's right. a, a sniffer, if you will. Um, but, like, yeah, he just tracks. That's what he is, which, hence the name, crow where he's able to fly and not oversee physically fly, but yeah, oversee yeah. things. Exactly. Um, but also crow, because I, I believe that it comes with, uh, his nationality, him being indigenous as well. Right. So that also makes a lot of sense in my head. Um, that there was one thing that I did want to mention, actually. Um, there was a really fucking cool art piece that I've seen of this artist, um, who made these, ink blot like paintings of the true knot and that's cool it was the coolest fucking shit ever like they made the eyes glow and everything and it was so fucking cool and i was like i need that and and they even did the detail of adding their names right below each one of them and i was like this is fucking amazing like what the fuck like you need to sell this sell this <laughs> to us please good <laughs> to abro uh waking up in the back seat of the van crow commenting that it is good that she's awake he was like you're awake good she so tries to get out of the seat belts but he places his hand on his holster trying to contact dan he tells her not to bother she coughs asking uh asking her what's what's asking what's wrong with her he used a bunch of dosage blocking her steam. She asked about her dad. He comments that a lot of good people died today. <sighs> As he continues, there will be no justice because they were um, they were always going to save her, uh, going to have her. Some of some of their people dying in the process, yet the outcome didn't change, and their deaths were all a waste. Abra cries and pleads for Dan to hear her. Crow continues that nobody's going to hear her, and the outcome hasn't changed. Dan goes inside Abra's house, seeing David dead. She sees the bottle of or he sees the bottle of alcohol on the counter. He takes it back to his place, pleading pleading to not drink from it, calling to Abra out loud in his mind, then pleading for Tony to help him. Opening the bottle, hesitant to drink from drink from from it while holding it holding back waterfalls of tears he breaks the the bottle on the ground telling himself to just listen uh since his mind is like a radio once again i think it would have been fucking hilarious if the landlord would have came up up the stairs like i told you no noise (laughs) he closes his eyes and focuses Many voices coming through until he finds Abra uh, weakly asking for his help. Sliding down toward the wall, catching himself, um, Abra, uh, Abra waking up with Dan sitting uh, sitting in front of her inside the van. Super cool. This is awesome. I like this scene a lot. This is awesome. And Very I, wholesome. Like it, it, it's, it's nice to see that he's there. Right. You I know. love that there's like a part where it's like he's trying to tune in. He hears like other voices. I'm like, who are those other voices? Yeah, that's pretty cool. He reminded me of like uh, Xavier or Professor Oh, yeah. X. For several, yeah, like, I can see that. X-Men shit. I love it. Yeah, that's fair. Find that's them all. That's definitely fair. Create a school. Teach them all. I would love, 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 love to just see everything from the True Knots, though. Yeah. Like, I want to see all of that. Like, I want their storyline so fucking bad. Like, before Andy. Like, I want to see their tyrant. I it just could be a great so limited series. It would be fucking awesome. Wink, wink. And my someone flying. needs to do it. And I think my flag could definitely should do it. Yeah. But hey, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, bro. 
Just say it. He greets her, looking at Crow, asking if he if uh he drugged her, waiting to try something. Uh, uh, wanting to try something, since she is she is weak, he can barely hear her. He asks for her trust. She weakly nods her head. Then he places her hand out, um, and then he places his hand out, and she matches it with hers. Um, I at this point, I'm going to call them Dabra because <laughs> it's Dan and Abra. Right. Dabra lifts up again. Crow wondering if he will have to dose her at the next rest stop. They ask where they are going. He tells her that that she knows where, commenting that they uh, feel hungover. And I love, I love how he's just like, "I told you it was good shit." <laughs> yeah, nonchalant. His like tone of voice is so funny. He's like, because he's confused. He's just like, "What the fuck? Like, how do you even know what a hungover is?" You're like nine, even but though even she's thirteen. The it's like, well, he has a great monologue about talking about like the results stayed the same. You could have oh, right. like, yeah, left, yeah. left everything. It's like, yeah. A lot of good people died, but the result still was the same. That's on you. It's like, mm-hmm. Damn, it's like that is some powerful stuff. He's not not lying. Like yeah, no, 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 definitely factual. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the they continue they continue that she hasn't felt hungover in years and she doesn't miss it. Then realizes that um that they are headed west, calling it smart that they are staying off the major roads. I love here how you can see um Abra's eyes now blue. Yeah. Like that's fucking awesome. Reading the sign of Crownville, knowing that they are they are in New York, he asks who is inside of her. Dan letting him know that um he's the guy who killed his friends. Crow sighs that it's nice to meet him, calling his trick nice and that he hasn't seen that one before. Dabra smiles, asking if he wants to see one more. He places his hand on his holster. They remind him about Rose and and the what if for shooting Abra. Crow is is sure that Rose will not be happy about any of this, threatening him to stay out of this and to count his blessings. They chuckle, calling his arrogance and commenting that it makes sense that he thinks he will live forever, which is why he doesn't wear a seatbelt. Dabra holds their um their hands up and quickly jerks them, causing the van to veer and hit a tree. Fuck. So sick. I love that. This is amazing. And this is why I said Dan is technically the only person who killed someone with his mind. Technically. Because yeah. he can this is how fucking powerful this motherfucker is. He controlled Abra, who then controlled his actions, Crow. Right. To veer off and hit a tree. This is a transception. He's going <laughs> deeper into the layers of people, which it's is nuts. crazy to think about. It's and I, nuts. Yeah, I love the movement she does too. Yeah, it's like, like it's, it's so just flawless. Like that. It's like hands up. It's like crooked and like turns. It just shifts. It's, it's so it looks good. Great. Looks awesome. Crow flies out of the windshield. Dan shooting back into his body. Rose screaming no, and this that no is just blood curdling. Yeah. Like this is the scream. Her eyes are blue. Like she's she's the feeling last one of her group. every aspect of the pain, and probably her lover too. Basically, her lover, and I yeah. think she, I think she was completely connected with yeah. him. Abra calls for Dan, realizing that Crow is dying outside the van. She comes out of the van, um, going over to him, hoping that that hurts a lot. He calls line. to Rose before screaming and writhing in pain until he disappears into the into steam. And I love how he calls Rose. Like it's so. It, it, like it's kind of heartbreaking. Not really, fucking. Uh, I mean, but that's why I love enough, her lines. Like, but, yeah. I hope that hurts. And she pauses a lot. Yeah, like oh, so good. Like it's really good. And like how he's like Rosie, <laughs> and it's great. It's really great. Um, 
Now, when they are kind of doing the cycling moment and they're screaming and growling and writhing and and pretty much having a, a seizure mm. in a way, um, they remind me of Tales from the Crypt's Demon Knight. I don't know if it either either of you have seen that, no. but that uh, it reminds me of the demons inside Demon Knight. Like they they look like that. Interesting. And it's uh, the, but they look like that when they're in their cycle. Um, so it's actually really fascinating. Um, Abra is walking off the main road. Rose standing in the middle of the road, um, but see through. She approaches Rose. She and Rose is trying to look all hard and shit, and she's like, like great nah, standoff you moment. Yeah, you're not passing me. Like, like I'm gonna get you. And I love this because she approaches Rose. She calls her a slur, asking asking what she has done. And I think she calls her like child bitch or something. You little you bitch. little oh you little bitch. Um, Abra uh, confidently walking walking right through her, making her disappear. And and Abra's just like like Man, nothing. Shut up. Man, you kill my pops. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Rose goes up to her cabinet, inhaling all the steam that she has left. Her hand keeling as she composes her feeling of ecstasy. Cut to Dan pulling up uh, up to a motel. Abra sitting outside listening to music. He runs to, he runs to her to embrace her. They are driving on the road, Abra waking up and apologizing for dozing off. She asks that they are uh, where they are. They are in Ohio, headed to Colorado. She questions this. Dan knowing that Rose is going to always keep coming. Dan not knowing um, that they can beat her alone, reminding her about the overlook. Abra doesn't understand if it's if it's dangerous for them, then why are they going? Dan thinks that it, um, it will have the same effect on Rose, if not worse. She comments that Rose is following them. Dan wants her to. He, um, her, he apologizes about her dad. She follows up with uh, his his friend, Billy. Getting dark, they continue driving. Abra's phone rings. It is her mom. She asks what they, uh, what to say. Um, but I love this. She's like, "What do I say?" And he's like, "Oh." Uh-huh. She answers it, greeting her mom. She's like, "Hi, mom." And her mom's just fucking frantic. She's like, "Oh my god, thank god." Um, she tells her mom that she loves her before hanging up. And then tosses the phone out. Toss the phone out the window. <laughs> Telling Dan to call her mom um, that they when they are safe and sharing their location. He agrees. She dumps the phone out of the window. They stop to get gas. Dan sharing that they aren't much further, just up the mountain. And I love this. You get those loud horns. That shot just panning through the mountains. And while we're doing that, we're at chapter six. What was forgotten? The drive, they drive up the mountains and making it in front of the snowed in, desolate and boarded up overlook. They get out of the car, Dan going over the plan, instructing her to stay in the car. Rose can only come from the mountain and that she uh, can easily see her about a mile out, about a mile out. Uh, once she sees the lights, he wants her to honk the horn, but he doesn't want her to go inside. Not until she gets there. Abra wonders why he, he uh, isn't going to wait with her. He has to wake up the hotel first. He gro- he grabs a crowbar from the trunk, approaching the door and breaking it open. Inside the lounge of the hotel, he walks in, the lights coming on inside as if it's greeting him. This is fucking awesome. And the way like the sound design works here too, every time he like walks a little bit, you hear like the, the humming buzzing of, the electricity. of the electricity. Yeah, it's awesome. That's so good. The zzzz- it creates such atmosphere. Yes. Of the hotel and Kind of like we were talking about, I was like, oh yeah, there's like the object, but I like seeing humans in part one. We talked about that. This makes it feel real. This makes it this feel, makes like, it feel it like it's an actual character. being. Yeah, and it's um, coming to life. Right. You know, honestly, like, this is going to, 
this is going to downplay this a little bit, but this is Monster House. It really is. Like, yeah, this yeah, is no. this is Monster House. Like, you know, like, Monster House is fantastic. Monster House is fantastic, but I don't I don't want to compare this completely to a to a child cartoon. But um, this is this is literally it. Like, it feels like a person, just like right. Monster House felt like say, a person. Monster House is terrifying and I will cry every time. I'm Good. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But even that movie had like a great story in the background. Like, <laughs> it does. It also has one of my haunted. favorite jokes of all time. Like, <laughs> oh my God, it's their Uvula. Oh, it's a, oh, girl, it's a house. girl house. <laughs> wasn't wrong. <laughs> Technically wasn't, though. <laughs> Dan moves to the furnace, turning turning everything on. He continues moving down the halls. The lights come on as they follow his footsteps. He stops in the hall where, where he would normally spot the Grady twins, but continues his trek further down the hall. Going d- down a dark hall, the lights cracking on, flickering as he approaches the old apartment that him and his parents stayed inside. The door still sport- sporting the axe, uh, the axe marks from Jack's mental break. Dan goes inside the apartment, his it lighting up for him to see the door to the bathroom. Red rum in the hole inside the door. Reminders of his mom screaming in the corner with the knife in her hand flashes through his mind. Dan heads toward the gold room. He comes al- it comes alive as he heads to the bar, a single glass waiting for him as he approaches. He takes a seat in front, looking around for a moment, a man speaking on the night before um, being slow. Dan immediately answering him as the man asks if he's a whiskey man. He comments that he used to be as he pours him some Jack Daniels. He picks it up, remembering um, that this brand was his brand and that he is actually speaking to his father, Jack. He continues his trip down memory lane, seeing the bottles in their in their home and the, and that he smelled one once. It's smelling something of fire, supposing that it was. This is fucking great. I love this. This whole entire conversation. This whole entire conversation. Fucking fantastic. Now, this is Flanagan in a nutshell. Having these fucking monologues that are just punching you in your heart. Yeah. And, like, the fact that he has it so... So baked in that we're not realizing that... Like, it feels like he's not even in the hotel anymore. Right, and it explains the entire situation with Jack and where he yes. was at as a character, and kind of relating it back to how, pretty much how he grew up, Dan, and how he became kind of like a reflection of his own father and his sins, and how far he's come as a person, and it's kind of like this haunting spirit of like a traumatic memory, want to relapse him, because he's back at the place where it all happened. Obviously, he's reliving the situation. He sees the flashbacks of his mom. He sees the axe coming through. He's going through memory lane, literally through the hallways of his past trauma. Mm-hmm. And this is, for me, this is how I view it. I see this as a, the scene of his Closer. mind trying to relapse. Mm, sure. And so like, man, this is why I do drink. The drink is in front of me. I should take my medicine. Yeah. And he's fighting those urges. Right. I also do find this a bit of a, of a aspect of closure for Dan as well. Yeah. Where Dan is able to kind of confront his father, uh, something he was never able to do as a child, Mm. you know? So like, I, I find this to be something of a sense of closure for him. Um, but I also think you're right as well, where, where this is kind of like a section for him to give him the ability to relapse, um, if you will. But yeah, I, I'm, it, it's interesting to see his ebb and flow with his urges and his mind and, and how much Lloyd or Jack or whatever the fuck you want to call him, Joyd, 
I don't know. Um, but it, it, like you, you see that kind of power behind right. it. Um, but this was this was something that when I remember watching it in theaters, a lot of people when we were leaving out of the theaters were upset that um, they didn't use Jack Nicholson. I think that's a great reason to not use Jack Nicholson. I think this is fantastic because de aging is cheesy. Right. I'm not gonna lie, de aging sucks i hate it i hate it It, it's one of the reasons why i had a huge struggle to get through the irishman it's uh, a reason why it chapter two isn't as strong to me like it's just it's all of those reasons as to why de-aging is not a great tactic but when you use something like this use something and use makeup to make freaking elliot from et look uh like jack torrance right that's the way to do it i think this is the way I take it too with like Lloyd or Jack Torrance and stuff like that because we get a little bit of lore of like history repeats itself and then we get that final image of like Jack being in the picture even though he was never really part of it. But yeah, from 1916. Like reincarnation, stuff like that. It doesn't matter who it is. It's the rep- representation of that person in that hotel. In that hall. Yeah, exactly. It could have been Lloyd. It could have been his father. It can be in, the, in between of both, which this is that kind of characterization of it. Exactly. Jack comments that he's afraid that he must must have have him confused sharing his name as Lloyd. He apologizes to Dan, not knowing where everyone is, promising that it will pick up. Dan shudders that he knows he knows where they are and that it will pick up. Lloyd comments that he see he seems put upon, Dan not understanding. He goes on the meaning of trying to live your life and do your work, but you get pulled into other people's problems. Dan mentions that his mom and him lived in Florida. Jack doesn't know what that means. Dan continues that they that they never wanted to see snow again living in a tiny yet comfortable place adding that they were grieving from their trauma but there were also happy moments as well wendy used to look at him for a moment and then look away not looking him in the eyes for long after the overlook he couldn't understand why commenting that that she saw jack's eyes in him so he fixed it for her and it's interesting because that that whole situation of him going to the bathroom to change his eye color that is not in the theatrical cut it's true so they they don't show that this is the context you get for the theatrical as to why his eyes are now blue instead of brown so the last the last time he used he used his shine um so she didn't have to see jack anymore and when she saw him uh when she saw him uh, le- letting him know that that he was t- about twenty when she died, and that he used to, he used to see flies when people would die, calling them death flies. What a fucking great name! Like I, you know, it it's so simple, but yeah, like deadlights, like- death flies. Like these are very simple words that are mashed together that we use, but we would never use them like that. Stephen King is a fucking genius, even though. This I don't think is written in Stephen King's book of him meeting his dad again. Like I I don't think this is written in this book. I think this was his way to tie Kubrick's Shining Mm. to Doctor Sleep. Um, But I think Death Flies was used. But I think he uses that early on, which we see one when he sees the the lady. lady. Yeah. Calling them death flies, and she was uh, covered with covered in them, barely able to see her eyes before she passed. Stuttering with tears in, in his eyes, he continues that he tried to comfort her, but he couldn't look at her, and Wendy knew that. She laid there dying, knowing her son didn't want to look at her. 
Jack inches the drink closer to him, suggesting it to suggesting it to push away the unpleasant thoughts. I love that. He was like, it's like, you know, take this. It'll right. push away your unpleasant trees. Dan exclaims that Wendy and was his wife, and she would uh she should want to listen about it. Jack continues his charade on just being a bartender. Dan sarcastically plays along, crying that the drink costs too much. Jack letting him know that his money is no good orders from the house. Dan knows that it will cost him his eight years of sobriety. Jack commenting uh, that his credit is fine. Dan picks up the glass. Quote, man takes a drink, drink takes a drink, and the drink takes the man. End quote. Jack calls it medicine, the cure to depression. Stress, remorse, and failure. The mind being a blackboard and the drink is the eraser. He throws the drink back, continuing that that a man tries, provides, but he surrounds he's surrounded by mouths that eat, scream, cry, and nag, pouring another drink, sharing it sharing it as the medicine to all of that. Dan cries as Jack asks um, if he's going to take his medicine. He tells Jack that he isn't. Jack smacking the glass off the table, apologizing to Dan, wanting to get him cleaned up. Cut to them in the bathroom. Also, not inside the theatrical cut. The bathroom scene. Uh, cut to them in the bathroom. Jack rinsing a cloth as Dan waits. And great callback here again to The Shining. Right. Jack getting cleaned off by Lloyd. Whatever. He walks over to Dan, wiping his jacket as he mentioned. It wasn't even Lloyd. It was the previous. No, I think it was Lloyd. I don't. I don't think so. It was. It was a. It was like a waiter. Lloyd was still at the bar because he right, right, he runs right, to right. a waiter and he and he spills he was food like on the him. Dad who actually yes, him. he was the dad of the Grady twins. Um, so Mr. Grady, I guess. Um, sharing that it is horrible what Abra has done to him, pulling her into her mess, adding that a smart man would let her handle it, allowing things to unfold as they were meant to, and and why would he have to pay the tab of a little girl who started all of this trouble? Dan wonders what management would have to say about that. Jack comments nothing, calling it easy. Wanting to bring her inside and accept the things that cannot be changed. Abra speaks to him in his head that Rose is there. Rose is coming over the mountain. Dan runs out of out to Abra as they stare at her coming. He takes her inside and they head inside the hotel. Abra commenting that the place is sick like her Momo, which is her grandma. Calling, calling it worse than cancer. The lights shine brighter. They keep moving. Wanting to head further inside and, and that Rose will find them. They stare at the axe um, that is behind the glass. Transitioning to Rose standing outside outside the um, hotel, stretching her hand out before heading inside. Are you guys pointing out that the uh, yeah over, the hotel looks like it has look like a house eyes? eyes? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The eyes is uh, a great representation here, and I, I love the fact that it's multiple. So you got the two that are kind of close together, and you got the two that are kind of slightly outward. Um, so it's it's. It's pretty great, but the best part about the eyes is when she comes inside and it fades and, it fades and it's on her eyes. Right. <laughs> That's the best fucking part. Great um, transitions are fantastic to look at. Yes, it is. Uh, inside, she closes her eyes, inhaling for um, for her next move as she looks both ways, then chooses right. She calm. She's calmly walking down the hall, stopping as as she witnesses the blood flooding through the elevator. She's amused as she stares for a bit longer before continuing her movement. Um, of course, you gotta have the blood scene. Yeah, I love that she's like unfazed by this as well. Which she's, yeah, like, she's completely amused. Yeah, 
it always confuses me at this part. It's like, what have you seen in your lifetime that you're not worried about this? I mean, she's all pumped up off steam right now. Right. So, like, she's like, I want to go. Like, <laughs> like I want to kill everything. So, like, I, I feel like for her, she's th- th- this is a game for her. Like, it, she's inside this 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 vessel and she doesn't know what's inside of here because it's locked away in Dan's mind. And she doesn't know that. So she doesn't even know who Dan is. Yeah, at this point, yeah, she doesn't know. So inside the lounge, Dan and Abra are waiting for her on the stairs. She gives her iconic, hi there. I fucking love it. And the how breathy it is. Like, it's just. Hi there. It's just so good. And and she always adds the well before. She's like, the well. or And I think for this one, she added like three wells before it. She's like, well, well, well. well, well. Hi, hi there. there. It's just, it's great. It kind of, honestly, it reminds me of Jim Carrey. Like, smoking. Alrighty then. Or, alrighty then. So it's like, it, it reminds me of that, but like, this it's is. iconic line. It's, it's fucking awesome. Right? This, line, this line's great. Dan instructing Abra to run when the, uh, when this, when this starts from inside his head. She nods. Rose repeating it out loud, commenting that she will find her and she will scream for years until she dies. What a fucking line. She's so intimidating. Just by her words alone. Abra answering that they will see who does the screaming. Dan adds that um, that Abra is right and that she should be afraid. Rose wonders why. He mentions that she doesn't know. Uh, she doesn't know where she is standing. She asks who uh, who he is. He's silent. And, and that was funny. She was like, well, well, hold on a second. Who are you? Like, <laughs> like who, who the fuck are you? Um, Rose knowing that he's the one who killed Crow. And she's like, you killed my Crow. <laughs> Dan looks back at Abra, telling her to go, their eyes switching to glossy white. Rose trembling and grunting as they move inside her inside the maze of his mind. She opens her eyes in the maze, looking around as the camera pans out to reveal where she is. She sees Abra running down a corner she's uh, she follows. Great fact about this one, or I think so, um, when they lift up, it's also the exact same spot when um, – Jack is looking down into the maze and it's uh-huh. kind of panning down to where Danny and Wendy are. Yeah. yeah. Looking at her footprints, calling her calling her clever on making some improvements to her mind. Abra asking how does she not know that she's in hers? Rose continues chasing after her as she continues as she keeps going from corner to corner, they eventually meet in an area, Abra telling her that she's going to die there. Rose calling her brave and mocking the fact that she is going to hurt her. Abra answers yes. As she runs from behind her in the same fucking thing. Like how Abra is copying what Rose said to Brad. Right. When when she says that whole thing. You're going to hurt me. Yes. yes. Like you think you're going to hurt me? And then she says exactly what she says to Brad. Yes. This is a great scene because even with the whole camera movements, you get the same camera movements from the original Shining. And yes. you see great camera work with that. But it's fantastic. I think this whole entire cat and mouse game where Rose is so used to being the cat. Yes. And now she's the mouse in the maze. It's just fantastic. Too. It's so great. It's so great how it turns the, yeah. uh, the tides. Um, and this is even the best part Battle right here. Power. Slicing the back of her leg with the knife that was used on Brad. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Rose irritatedly comments that she reminds her of herself and that she has a darkness inside of her. The only difference is time. Abra strikes her other leg from behind. Rose groans in pain, looking all around for her, commenting that she doesn't know what uh, what 
doesn't know what you would do for excuse me, commenting that she doesn't know what you would actually do for more time and you'd be surprised. Abra strikes again and she mocks Rose's words of pain and fear, purifying steam. She she disappears. Rose focuses, uh, hearing Abra's footstep and grabbing her by the neck, lifting her up, claiming that she was just like her, special and alone. But she met someone that gave her a gift of purpose and community, possibly would have given that uh, to her if things would have gone differently. She shakes her head as Rose comments on her uh, defiance of Box slowly inching toward her uh, or toward them as Rose realizes that they aren't in her mind at all. They, the Box is closing in as she realizes that Abra is just bait. She throws her, screaming enough as they come back into the hotel, Dan falling down on the stairs. This is awesome. Yeah. This is awesome. I love, I love the, these kind of power tugs. It's a battle here. of power, which I love to see. Absolutely. And you can still tell that Rose is still very, very, very powerful. Yeah. And pushes both of them out of his own mind, and he even falls back on the stairs, too. And it's kind of like a taste of their own medicine because she got thrown. Yeah. <laughs> Not as hard. I mean, uh, Dan didn't get thrown as hard as her, obviously, but she's still on par with everything that's going on. She's still in control for the most part. Yes, 100%. Um, he tells Abra to run, Rose taking off her jacket, wondering how they missed him. And I love that. She's like, Oh, how did we miss you? Yeah, she's so like, uh, the way she delivers these lines. Yeah, Rebecca Ferguson's been killing this. Perfect. Role. Absolutely perfect. Um, and they should have met years ago. She calls his name, sharing sharing that their steam gets polluted and dirty when they get older. She sees the grease all over him and that he uh, doesn't shine the same, wondering where he's been hiding, wait, uh, wanting to make him an offer that she rarely makes. She continues approaching him as he uh, has, an, has his axe at the ready, sarcastically wanting to hear, her, hear about her offer. Rose calls him a gifted boy who hid his light for a long time, mentioning that he would he could live long and, and well, allowing him to indulge himself in no consequences and hangover. Eat well, live long. <laughs> and these shots are so great, too, because it's such a great comparison to Winnie going up the stairs, going up the stairs yeah. Jack following, trying to like it's talk amazing. to her and stuff like that, too. It's like a perfect comparison shot by shot. And in... What makes this even better, Jack was maniacal. Rose is calm. Yeah. She's calm. She's controlled. She's she's the one who knows I'm the one who's in control here. Right. Not you. And it's fucking great. It's fucking awesome. He tells her that she must be be lonely being the last one in the world. She educates him, letting, letting her know that she isn't the last. She's just the prettiest. <laughs> I love that. Uh, the confidence on her. Seriously. It's so great. And I love how she says it. Like she kind of like like tilts her, her shoulder. Right. She's just like, I'm just the prettiest. <laughs> uh, hey, go go ahead, Freddie. Assuming <laughs> that she already knows his answer, she feels sarcastic pity for him, asking if they are doing it or not. He takes a swing. I love how impatient she gets. She's like, are we doing this or not? Like, hurry the fuck up. Like, swing the fucking axe. Let's go. Um, he takes a, takes a swing. She um, grabs it, but it connects with her shoulder. She gets she uh, gets the better of him, taking the axe, hitting him in the leg with it, and throwing him down the stairs. She comes so, down. Look, real ahead. quick. Yeah. To, like, better your theory about, like, them being, like, very weak and stuff like that. Um, with, like, them not having enough steam throughout yes. the years. 
this shows that her taking all the canisters and she getting an axe to like her shoulder area. Yeah. It means nothing to her. Yeah. I feel Able like if they have enough steam, they're like invulnerable. Like they can get shot at and they won't like die like they did at the right. in the woods. I feel like with enough steam, they're just completely powerful. Absolutely. And I think that's why she wanted um, Abra because she knew right. that her steam was enough to do that for them. Right. For all of them. So I think this is a perfect example to show like, yeah, it's like they can be vulnerable if they don't have the right supplies that they have and they've been just surviving. They've not been eating healthy. Right. But now she ate. She good. Yeah. She's like, I'm full. But luckily, but I'm still hungry. Still hungry. Exactly. More hungry than her. She comes, she comes uh, down from him commenting about nicking his, uh, his uh, femoral artery on his leg and that he's going to bleed to death. Fuck me. Like goddamn, um, I love how how this works though, where he now gets to walk like Jack. Um, she hits him in the face, dropping the axe and jumping on him. Dan tries to fight back. She chokes him, commenting on his temper, calling it a waste. Uh, she jams her finger in his wound. He screams out, "Steam!" Rose immediately going in for a taste, sinisterly complimenting him, tasting like whiskey. And the way she fucking says this is so chilling she's like it's so good you taste right. like whiskey like it's just the the way she does it is so fucking like oh and it's like it's i'm like getting a chills a drug addict it. it's like a yes alcoholic they're just getting right back into it and getting like exactly what i need i'm taking absolutely. my medicine right now absolutely and i i love how she she compliments him with pain it's fucking nuts like it reminds me of hellraiser you've been through so much it tastes even better right uh she compliments jamming her finger in his wound uh she continues jamming her finger in his wound getting glimpses of his childhood each ex- each inhale she sees more realizing that he's not alone in his head then this is right here your addiction part she gets greedy She's just like, oh, I want more. You have more people inside there. I want them. I want that steam. Um, she she asks, what, uh, what is he hiding? Asking what uh, what is in those boxes. They bang as, as she thinks it is something special inside. He grabs her hand off of him, um, hitting her hitting her with the um, dope as one liner of 2019. Quote. They're not special. They're starving. <laughs> End quote. He unlocks the boxes. The residents of the Overlook appear and attack her. Hands inside of her skin. Rose screaming from each inhale. And I love how you can see her steam leaving her mouth as well. Right. Um, each inhale that they take uh, from her steam releasing until she disappears. They move on to Dan. He tries to get them back in the box. But the Grady twins have a different approach. They approach him first to come play with them forever and ever, Danny. They grab his face, his eye glowing white. Oh, I love this scene. So fucking much. It's such a good scene. Abra's walking down the halls of the hotel, stopping when she's faced with the twins standing at the end of the hall. Dan comes up for, uh, comes. Uh, up to her with his head down and axe in hand. She calls out to him asking if Rose is dead. And I like this because she doesn't call out to him excitedly. She's like, Uncle Dan, is, is she dead? Like she kind of feels something's off. Right. And I think it's because like his head's probably clouded now. And she's like, I, I don't, I can't read I can't you, sense right. you right now. Yeah. yeah. 
He looks at her sinisterly, showing off that one clouded eye. Abra uh, starts running down the hall, Dan limping as he runs behind her. She keeps moving down the hall, stopping when she sees more of the Overlook victims. She runs and hides inside of the room, uh, inside of room 237, as Dan continues screaming for her. This is great. Like, I like that we get to go back into room 237. Right. It's, this is all like the fan service and stuff like that, which, you know what, it works really This well. whole thing is fan service. Right. They didn't need to go back to the Overlook, but mm-hmm. they did need to go to the Overlook. They didn't need it at all. Like but they they, they definitely, they, but they I mean, but they did. Yeah. But yeah, you know. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, he passes the door, the old woman in the tub standing up, Abra being a badass and tell her, this. try it. <laughs> Dan bursts into the room telling, uh, telling her that she's been very bad. She knows it's not him and that it's a false face. He asks who else would it be with multiple voices. I fucking love this. Uh, she knows, she knows him to be the hotel and Dan is still there. He asks why she's smiling. She tells him that, um, because you don't know where you're standing. Thinking that she uh, is talking about the hotel, but she lets him know that the body that he's in is Dan Torrance, and they don't they don't know him. Letting them know um, that he made one stop before they got there, and that it and it was the boiler room. He tries to strike her with the axe. He stops. She touches her hand, bringing him back. She sobs. Dan reminding her that she was supposed to run, but she didn't want to leave him. He comments that she's exactly um, where he's supposed. He, that he comments that he's exactly where he's supposed to be, letting her know that he can't hold them off much longer, and she needs to run. She doesn't want to. Um, but he has to close the door behind them, shouting for her to run as she shifts back into the body being controlled. Holtel Dan runs down to the boiler room, trying to turn the knob, but can't because actual Dan comes back. Abra bur- uh, runs out of the hotel. Dan moves away from the boiler, kneeling down as the machinery grunts and groans until it catches on fire, the room filling with oil and flames. Dan's um, Dan's pa- uh, pants become slow, uh, slower, and he's just starting to lose his breath. Right, he's dying. Yeah. Um, his mom appearing right in front of him, caressing his face as he transitions into Danny. Meanwhile, Abra watches the hotel catch on fire as it groans. She pleads for Dan to make it out, but, um, but he never comes. Transition to her in bed, speaking about the events, the fire spreading and purifying the hotel with flames, almost being able to hear the scream, it scream and die. But deep, deep inside, she knew um, he was okay. She looks over to Dan, standing by her window. He apologizes for putting her in danger, but uh, um, but it was the only way. She knows, wondering if Rose was right about um, right that she wasn't the only one. He comments that the world is hungry and dark. There possibly being more of them, things like them, or maybe worse. But there are more people like Abra, um, the ones that stand. He reminds her that uh, he reminds her that he said. Excuse me. He reminds her what he said about hiding her shine um, when they first met, um, admitting that he was wrong, telling her to shine on, Abra Stone. She smiles, softly chuckling. Her mom knocks, telling her that dinner is ready. Her poor fucking mom. Right. She's been through the ringer as well. Christ. Like, and I'm sure grandma died. Like, okay. I'm sure grandma died. <laughs> no, let's say she's alive and well. Well, you know, she Abra has a lie to her, though. Yeah. Saying that it, she was like, She's like, I don't know. I don't know about. I this don't time. know if she's gonna right. pull through this time. You know, so I don't know. I'm sure she did die. Um, but Dan no longer in her room. Lucy asks who um who she is talking to. Um, Abra first says that she is talking to to no one. Um, 
Lucy accepts it and immediately just walks away. Abra comes out telling her that that isn't true. And she was talking to Dan um, and that they they go on after um, letting her mom know that Dan and her dad are both OK. Lucy smiles, thinking thinking that to be good and walks away. Abra um, looks back back at her um, open bathroom. Lucy asking um, if she's coming. She tells her one minute, walking inside the bathroom, the naked old woman grinning and standing as she enters the bathroom, Abra also grinning as she shuts the door. Then, credits. What a fucking movie, dude. What a beautiful ending, too. Dude, this movie fucking... It's so satisfying. It's, it's, this is a fucking awesome movie. And this is the thing with, like, say, Mike Flanagan in general. With Dr. Sleep being a book, being the sequel to The Shining, he's still able to, like, captivate a very important story and cover a lot of themes and brings up a lot of discussions. And that's why it's such a great movie to break down because, like we've said, interpretations up there for everyone to discuss. Yeah. Everyone can see this movie differently. And we we said the same thing about The Shining, too, in this Absolutely. episode. Where there's so many theories, there's so many fan theories and stuff like that. We've gone through all of that in the post show. Absolutely. To be a patron member, you can listen to the post show and listen to more theories. That's right. Uh, Plug, plug, plug. Uh, But Dr. Sleep is always going to have a special place in my heart because it's it's just, it's It's just amazing. So well. It's, it's so unique. It is. Exactly. That's exactly it. Like, I I haven't seen anything quite like this. Right. Like, it's so much fun. And when I have seen something like this, it was very much in the traditional vampire sense. Right. But I got some movie facts for us here. Some movie facts. <laughs> Mike Flanagan painstakingly recreated the sets of the Overlook Hotel from blueprints acquired from Stanley Kubrick's estate. What a nice. fucking mastermind. And he killed it. So Mastermind. Most elements from The Shining were recreated with duplicate sets and lookalike actors. Though three shots were reused, the aerial shot of the water and the, and the island and the two shots after it of the car driving on the mountain road. The shots were degrained, recolored as day for night and um, had snow digitally added. That's really cool. That's actually that's really cool. Shot by shot. That, yeah, that's awesome. Stephen King first got the idea of Dr. Sleep in 1998 at a book signing when somebody asked him what uh, what happened to Danny Torrance from his novel The Shining. This was a question King had often asked himself as well um, as, well as what would happen uh, to Jack Torrance had he found AA. When people kept re- uh, repeating the question, King always jokingly replied that Danny eventually married um, Charlene McGee, the girl from Firestarter, um, which Firestarter is fucking awesome because she's another psychic who literally starts fire. It's with uh, Drew Barrymore. Um, it, Firestarter is fucking rad. I, like, I have to check that out. Yeah, definitely check out Firestarter. Firestarter is rad. I had it on our list, but I took it off. Um, because it was out of that or Christine and I took it off for Christine, but, um, however, King eventually started, um, thinking, thinking seriously about how old Danny was and what happened to Wendy and decided to find answers with the sequel. But, um, it was a tall order in, in the scene where hospital cat Ozzy or Azzy jumps on the desk in front of, uh, Dan before he, fo- uh, before he follows her um, to the empty room, he puts down a magazine he was reading. It's uh, the same January 1978 issue of Playgirl magazine his father Jack Torrance read in the lobby in the Overlook while waiting for Stuart Ullman and Bill Watson on closing day in The Shining. Yeah. I didn't know it was the same one. I just yeah, knew he was reading generation one. To generation. He's so cute. <laughs> I guess so. His father. Uh, 
<laughs> Ian McGregor admitted that he doesn't really like horror, so he never watched The Shining until he started acting and felt um, he could no longer ignore uh, its classic status. That's so interesting that he said that he doesn't like horror because he's in one of the most horrifying movies I I know to this date, which is Train Spotting. Star Wars. Oh, yeah, Train Spotting. Yes, not not Star Wars. No, no. Hello there. Um, <laughs> it it. <laughs> It took a lot of negotiating to get this film made. Mike Flanagan had to convince Stephen King that, despite his own distaste of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, audiences were more familiar with that version rather than The Shining of 1997 by um, uh, uh, McGarris, and largely preferred the film to the miniseries. Therefore, this film had had to be a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's classic film. When writing Dr. Sleep, Stephen King had to be reminded of things um, from The Shining he'd forgotten. Although most of his stories exist in the shared universe, The Shining's Dick Holleran appears briefly in It, for example. It's the only f- uh, is it's one of the only f- of uh, it's one of only a few sequels he has written. Let's do one more here and we'll conclude. Um Let's go. Let's find a semi juicy one. Let's do that one right here. Right here. Other than a few established shots at. No, no, I don't want to do that one. (laughs) (laughs) Not juicy enough. Not juicy enough. In the novel, Crow Daddy does not have any special shine. Instead, his role as a tracker goes to bury the the chunk. Um, And it actually starred his name out. The movie has ever less of. Oh, I think I think his name in the in the in the book is actually a slur, uh, but oh. they it's a less offensive name. So they named him Barry the Chunk. I wonder what his name is in the book now. Because uh, I, I, I don't know. Because um, now I'm curious. Uh, Barry. Oh, yeah, it is definitely a slur. I'm not saying it. Look it up on your own if you if you want to, everybody. Um, his romantic relationship with Rose the Hat is the same as in the movie. However, as well um, as well, he is not specifically Native American in the novel. In many Native American myths um, and legends, the crow is a trickster figure who can bridge the worlds of the living and the dead, inspired no doubt by the crow's appetite for carrion. That is actually fucking awesome. That is amazing. In in many Native American myths and legends, the crow is a trickster figure who can bridge the worlds of the living and the dead, inspired no doubt by the crow's appetite for carry-on. Wow. That's actually fucking powerful as shit. That's awesome. Man. God damn, what a movie. What a fucking movie. Dude, this movie fucking rules. It's so good. Would you say you love this movie? Me? Yeah. No. Yeah. I fucking adore this movie. Is that more than love? That is more than love. Oh, wow. That is more than love. I do not love this movie. I adore this movie. This movie is hands down one of my favorite movies of all time. Of all time. Yeah. I have to say uh, shout out to Andres and Kat because we said we're going to get a Rose to Hat tattoo. And I oh, think that's, that's going to happen next Halloween. That's cute. Yeah. That's going to be fun. Real, real cute. Yeah, that's real cute. That's real cute. Well, hello there. Just Rose the Hat? What are you guys going to get? I don't know. We're working on it. Okay. That's cool. No, that should be neat. I It's interesting. I thought of a piece where I wanted my back to be all of them in silhouettes. Oh, that would be sick. Yeah. And that, their eyes all glowing. That's what, I, that's what I want. 
It says all of them in silhouettes and they're all their eyes all glowing and Rose standing in the middle with her top hat. I just think that would be so fucking that'd be sick. sick. <laughs> that'd be a cool like, poster painting in general. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Uh, but anyway, let us know what you think of Dr. Sleep over on Twitter at nightlight underscore pod. That's night with a K. We want definitely want to keep this conversation going. But next month is a very, very special month because we didn't get to do it last month or in September. Um, we missed uh, Latinx um, or Hispanic Heritage Month. Therefore, we're extending that shit because we're going with Hispanic haunts. I'm so excited. This is something that Freddie has requested as well. David panel. has requested. Say it one more time. So I, I don't. I don't want to talk. Say it one more time. That shit's no, sexy. Like, Say it. Go ahead. I was like, "Clever Cassie Wishlin's like, of course, like yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely." Pork there no. you go. Why not? Yes, exactly. So it's all going to be in Spanish. I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> yes, it, it's something that we're very excited for. Something that we can celebrate not only um, Hispanic heritage but Hispanic horror films. It's it's something that I'm very excited to to dive into. It's one of my favorite sectors of horror. I love Hispanic horror. I think it's so fucking good and so scary. <laughs> um, and it's just it's always done really well. Um, but yes, Hispanic um Hispanic Haunts Month is next up, and we are going to be covering La Iona, which I'm so excited for. I have no idea if I said that correctly, so my Close apologies. La Llorona. There you go. Boom. Sex appeal right there. He's single. Sí. Anyway. El complicated toe. All right. That means single. All right. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knights. Alongside me, we have Freddy. Always keeping it El Spooky. Oh, that's a great show, actually. El Spookies. Watch yeah, it. it is. Um, also known as Night Night. All right. First, to get the show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over on patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they would. Okay. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with the post-show, except for this episode. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget... <laughs>